Good morning, church. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Here we are. I wanted to end 2023 and start 2024 off the right way. So before we jump back into the Gospel of Matthew next week, I wanted the last sermon of the year to refocus our attention on God's Word. Our Advent series looked at the theme of messianic expectation throughout the Old Testament, culminating and being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So I pray that it was as beneficial to you as it was to me as I studied and preached. And those kinds of studies stir us up to love God's word more as we see different connections and how different passages inform one another. And I want to double down on the emphasis of love for God's word this morning. So today, we're going to take a look at the first eight verses of Psalm 119. So let's stand and read together. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Again, Psalm 119, 1 through 8. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we love your word. We pray now that you would help us to understand it. We know that understanding only comes through the Holy Spirit. And so right now, Lord, we ask that you would give us each ears to hear and eyes to see. That spirit, you would move in our hearts to mold and shape us to your word into the image of Christ. We're hungry for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. I liked the way one commenter described Psalm 119. He called it, a literary monument raised in honor of Yahweh's revelation of himself to Israel. A literary monument. I think that's a, the perfect way to describe this psalm. Psalm 119 is a long psalm. It's the longest chapter of the Bible. And it's an acrostic. So it's broken up into 22 sections. And each section corresponds to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and each word of the first line, each, each first letter of the first word of each line of each stanza starts with that Hebrew letter. It's a masterpiece, an artistic masterpiece. And the major theme of Psalm 119 is love for God's word. So it's a constant reflection on God's word. One of the most amazing facts about history is that the God of the universe, the God who is completely other than us, who resides outside of creation and is unknowable to us, that God has revealed himself. Psalm 119 is above all a statement of love for God's self-revelation. 
And it's all about how to live in light of that divine self-revelation. Which means that throughout the psalm, the idea of devotion comes up time and time again. If God has revealed himself to his creation, to us, then his creation is obligated to listen and obey it. And this happened perfectly in the beginning, all the way back in the garden before the fall. God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and there were no issues relationally between them. Whatever God said, Adam and Eve did. But once sin entered the world through the fall, through their disobedience to his word, obedience to God now became contrary to our nature. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are by nature children of wrath who only follow the passions of our flesh. So instead of following God's heart, we follow our own hearts. How often do we see that statement pumped to our kids? Follow your own heart. We abandoned the blessing of obedience to God's self-revelation and we chose the curse of worshiping ourselves. Praise be to God that he did not stop revealing himself to us after the fall like he could have. In fact, God continued to reveal himself to his people throughout all of redemptive history, and the things that the Spirit of God wanted written down for future generations, he sovereignly guided certain men to write. That's God's grace alone. So not only has God spoken to his creation, which in itself is an act of grace, but he has also chosen to write to us. He has accommodated himself to our language, human language, so that we can actually understand him and obey him as we should. Praise God. And ground zero for obedience to God in the Old Testament is the law. The law was the central unifying document of the people of God, of Israel. And this law, this was the law that they were supposed to even bind around their hands and around their head and the law that they were supposed to teach to their children. Obedience to God, you'll remember in the books of Deuteronomy especially, led to divine blessing. If we obey, we'll be blessed. But ignorance of and disobedience to the law would lead to divine curse. It's believed that Psalm 119 was most likely composed after the return of Israel to the promised land or the second temple era or the time after Ezra and Nehemiah. And it specifically focuses on obedience because the author is aware of what happens when God's people fail to obey him. Israel strayed away from their God. She followed after other false gods. And so, despite all of the prophets that God sent their way, calling the people of God to repentance, the people continued in their disobedience. Their disobedience and rebellion eventually led to their expulsion from the promised land. But that expulsion, praise God, was temporary. If you remember all the way back to the book of Micah, We walked through all of that, why they abandoned God, how God kicked them out of their promise, and how he promised to bring them back. God brought his people back after he disciplined them. And Psalm 119 is a recognition of the goodness of heeding God's word. 
Look again at verses 1 through 4. Here we see first the blessing of obedience. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. The psalm starts with two beatitudes. Two beatitudes. To be blessed is to be joyful. To be blessed is to be joyful. They're synonyms. To be blessed is to even receive joy from the Lord. Those who are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, who keep his testimonies and who seek God with all their hearts, are joyful. Blameless, walk in the law of the Lord, keep his testimonies, who seek God. They are blessed. This is the foundational idea of our text today. These four things are interrelated. We don't typically use the language of blamelessness today, but Proverbs chapter 11, verse 20 will help us define it. It says this, Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. So blamelessness is opposed to being crooked in heart. Those who have a crooked heart desire to do evil. Even though they act like they want to please the Lord on the outside, they devise ways to follow the passions of their flesh while looking good. The point of Proverbs 11.20 is that the Lord sees even those who are crooked in their hearts, who are crooked in their inward appearance before the Lord, while their outwardness is fine. But those who are blameless are God's delight. The blameless desire to do what the Lord wants even in their hearts. So blamelessness is integrity. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Those who live with integrity before the Lord. Those who desire to please God all the time. Who do not hide a crooked heart from him. So those who are blameless walk in the law of the Lord. Walking in God's law leads to blamelessness. And when our deepest desire is to please God according to how he's revealed himself, we'll be filled with joy. We'll be blessed. The law of God is his instruction, his teaching on how to live. This is the first use of the word Torah in Psalm 119. The psalm uses eight different Hebrew words as synonyms that referred to God's self-revelation. The first is Torah, which is most frequently translated as law throughout the Old Testament. And then there are testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, ordinances, words, and promises. And all of these are different Hebrew words, but they're all related to one another. And again, they all refer to some aspect of God's self-revelation and God's law for his creation. So here in verses 1 and 2, we already see two of these words, law and testimonies. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. The English translations of each of these words in the ESV are really faithful to the Hebrew meaning. And Torah, of course, is another name for the first five books of the Bible. It's the main word, again, that's used in Hebrew to reference the Mosaic law. But testimonies gets to something a little bit different. They are his testaments of himself, his statements, his witnesses to him. 
All of these words are synonyms, and so they greatly overlap, but the emphasis here in testimonies is more toward God's outward statements about his will, what he wants from us and what he's going to do. So God blesses those, get this, who desire to do what God says he wants them to do. Seems pretty basic. But the second line helps us understand it even further. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. So Psalm 119 is not about dry observance of the law. It's about wholehearted obedience. In fact, keeping God's testimonies is equal to seeking him. You notice that? That might sound like a strange connection. But seeking God and obedience to God go hand in hand all over the scriptures. So let's put it this way. There is no true seeking after God that does not start with seeking to obey him. Let me say that again. There's no true seeking after God that does not start with seeking to obey him. The book of 1 John makes that abundantly clear. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. There are many who would like to find God apart from his word. There are many who would like a mystical encounter with or who would like to feel God's presence. There are many who seemingly seek a God they would like to know. But to truly seek God is to seek out what he has said and to follow what he has spoken. God has spoken And he has had his law and his testimonies written down for us. So if we want to seek God with all of our hearts, meaning with all of our being, then we should start seeking his word. And we should start doing it. And verse 3 doubles down on that. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. So God's blessing is inextricably linked to obedience to God's word. Blessings follow those who walk in God's ways, which is defined as doing no wrong. Of course, only God gets to define right and wrong. And God has carefully shown us throughout this book what is right and what is wrong. For the Israelite receiving this psalm of devotion, the clear place to start would have been the Torah, the law of Moses. And for Christians living on this side of the empty tomb, our starting point is the teachings of Christ, the one who fulfilled the law, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, Christ's full interpretation and fulfillment of the law. At the beginning of this last year, we walked carefully through the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember There, the standard of righteousness that Jesus set up for those who would enter the kingdom of heaven. You remember? He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
So now since we're all aware of the standard of righteousness that Jesus expects from his people, we should not be surprised to hear verse 4. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. This is the third synonym for God's law in the psalm. His precepts are those things that we submit to, items that we need to attend to with great care and with attention to detail. That's the emphasis in the word precept, detail. God has spoken certain things for us to follow that that set a high standard of righteousness. And he has commanded his people to keep them diligently, attending to the details. This word diligently emphasizes the attitude that disciples of Christ should have toward what the Lord requires. We should be careful to actually know what God has said in his word. We're accountable to it. Ignorance of God's precepts is not an option for those who desire to be blessed by the Lord. So at this point, you might be thinking, but Caleb, this all sounds so intense. How can we possibly get to the point where we can say with verse 3 that we do no wrong? Yeah, verses 1 through 4 set a very high standard. And the tone for the whole psalm. The author of the psalm feels the weight of it. What do we do in light of God's command to follow his precepts with all of our heart? Second, we cry out for help. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Do you hear the cry of desperation? In the author's voice here, the author recognizes that he is unable to do this in his own power. He wants to be steadfast in keeping God's statutes, but he recognizes this inborn desire to do that which is contrary to God's law. I like the way the New Living Translation has this verse. Oh, that my actions would be consistent, would consistently reflect your decrees. And yet they don't. Our actions do not consistently reflect his decrees. Paul recognizes this same duplicity in his own heart in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And this is how it is for all of us, right? Those who truly seek the Lord, they all come to the same place where they they want to keep God's law consistently and steadfastly. That's a true desire in their heart. But they find that they are weak and constantly prone to give in to temptation. We recognize the evil that has buried itself deep within our hearts. And the more that we try to ferret out the sin there, the bigger the infection of sin we discover. The author of Psalm 119 expresses these emotions beautifully here. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Shame is the right word. When we recognize the inability in ourselves to perfectly keep God's statutes, when we discover that our sin infection is much deeper than we originally thought, 
And when we are aware that even though we're trying our best to follow God's precepts, we frequently fail, we feel shame. So the psalmist calls out to God, desiring that this shame would be taken away. Is that your desire? Perfect obedience and sinless perfection are promises for the future when Christ comes and puts everything right in the life that we'll live with him in his kingdom. But the desire for perfect obedience should well up in our hearts right now. It's not something that we should hope for just in the future, but something that should well up in our hearts now as we meditate on God's holy law. We should want, just as the psalmist wants, to have our eyes fixed on the commandments of God. To always be mindful of what God would desire. Then the psalmist dwells on the future and what life would look like in perfect obedience. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. How often do we praise the Lord with a crooked heart instead of an upright heart? How often do we come to worship with sin unattended and unmortified? How often do we desire to worship the Lord while we ignore his righteous rules? Too often in my own life. We are hypocrites through and through, aren't we? We desire to please God, yet we ignore his revelation and we ignore his commandments. And that's why I'm so thankful for the gospel, which I am in dire need of every day. Despite the fact that I fall into sin, the Lord has paid the price. And when I'm reminded of that fact, I'm reminded of my hypocrisy and I'm presented with a chance to repent and renew my desire to follow the Lord with all my heart. Our sins have been paid for in the sacrifice of Christ. Amen? And that sacrifice was only sufficient because he was perfect in obedience. Jesus is the only one who can rightly be called blessed according to Psalm 119. He is the only one who is blameless, who keeps God's testimonies and who sought his father out with all his heart. He did no wrong. He was perfect in obedience and steadfast in God's statutes. And he is our model of righteousness. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus' perfect righteousness can be given to you. As our substitute, Jesus died the death we could not die. He paid the price we could not pay. And now his righteousness is credited to our account. Praise the Lord. His obedience is our obedience. His steadfastness and faithfulness is our steadfastness and faithfulness. His blessedness is our blessedness. Praise the Lord. And we are now united with Christ. His presence is forever with us. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And ultimately, it's God's presence in Christ that enables our obedience. 
And even though we are aware of our failure and our inability to perfectly keep the law in our own strength, we now have the promised Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who aids us in our weakness and who teaches us how to obey. We have God's presence with us. Look at verse 8 again. God's presence is what the psalmist desires most. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. He's crying out for God to be near, for God not to leave him. The psalmist understands that it's God's presence that enables the obedience he's talking about. So Psalm 119, 1 through 8 teaches us that blessedness comes from walking in the law of the Lord. But it also teaches us that walking in God's law is not possible without God's presence. There's two tendencies we have when it comes to knowing God. Two tendencies. First, we can ignore God's decrees, God's law and statutes, and try to seek God without attending to his word. Verses one through four make it perfectly clear that that's not possible. That's a very popular approach today, desiring to know God without actually seeking him out in his word. Or second, we can try to keep God's statutes without God's presence. And that's just going to result in failure. Obedience to God starts with obedience to the gospel. So repent and believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because only with the presence of God can we hope to obey him. Do you tend toward one of these tendencies? Do you tend to ignore God's law, thinking that God really just wants your love? Or do you try your best to follow God's law without actually having God's presence? Both of these approaches to knowing God are going to fail. If we try to know God apart from his word, we're going to just create an idol of a God we want to worship because God has actually revealed what he wants from us. He, he says here, you, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. But if we try to follow God's law without his presence, we're going to trick ourselves into thinking that we are holy without God. Or we're going to burn out from the effort and leave the faith altogether. We need the gospel of grace first, which teaches us that Jesus is present with us in his spirit, enabling us and teaching us to do what is right according to his word. The presence of the spirit in our lives molds us to want what God wants and desires to know God more. So if you are not a Christian today, or if you've been trying to know God by one of these two false methods, here's what you need to do. Here's the next step. First, repent. Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin. Could be all kinds of sins, but there are two that might be in the forefront of your mind. Either the, the sin of willful ignorance of God's word, or the sin of self-reliance. Repent. Second, believe in Jesus Christ and in his resurrection. And third, begin to depend upon the presence of God in your life. But often, God feels distant. 
as many Christians in this room can attest. We're at the beginning of a brand new year. Some of us feel dried out, especially through the holidays. We've, we've lost our first love, as Revelation 2 says. How can we reignite our love for God and continually recognize his presence with us, which is a truth. God's presence is never more with you or less with you. It's always your awareness of him. So how can we ignite our love and our, our awareness of God's presence in our lives all the time? Let's spend some time talking about third, the disciplines of prayer and Bible reading. How can we keep our love for God strong through the new year? There are many temporary things that can stir us up to love God more. We can take a relaxing vacation. We can go to an encouraging conference. We can have good Christian conversations and so on and so forth. These are good and these are needed. But the best and most consistent way of renewing our minds upon the Lord is through the spiritual disciplines. If that's a new concept for you, I'd recommend several books. There are a lot of spiritual disciplines, a lot of good things to practice. We're just going to look at these two today of prayer and Bible reading. But here are some books I'd recommend. First, somebody is borrowing my copy, but the first book is The Spirit of the Disciplines. The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. It's a classic, a classic Christian book which looks at the, the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. So it's a good foundation, and it gives a short overview of a bunch of different ones. And then I'd recommend these two books, Disciplines of a Godly Man and Disciplines of a Godly Woman by Kent Hughes and his wife, Barbara Hughes. These books... <clears throat> walk through many spiritual disciplines and how to put them into practice in like a practical way. <clears throat> so if you are uh, an older member of this church and you would like to meet with a younger member of this church to go over these things, all three of these books are ones I would recommend you meet with somebody with. These are great books to go through with somebody. And then you have somebody to hold you accountable to these disciplines. You'll be surprised as you read some of these books, at some of these disciplines that they encourage. Some of them are obvious, right? Today we're talking about prayer and Bible reading. But there's also church attendance and generosity. There's also fasting. One of my favorite ones that I've had to put into practice the last couple of years is solitude. Getting away from everything else into silence, sitting with the Lord. All of these can be practiced simultaneously too. I would check these books out. Psalm 119 is all about loving God's word and seeking God with all of our hearts. So how can we ensure that that desire stays ever present here? There are two disciplines that help with this more than any other. Prayer and Bible reading. And I like to think of these disciplines as one combined discipline. It's best to practice them in tandem. Of course, not every prayer can be combined with a deep Bible study, especially prayers of desperation as you hunt down your keys. But quiet prayer and Bible reading go together like peanut butter and jelly, or your favorite combination of peanut butter and whatever else. And there's good reason. When we read the Word, we are reading God's self-revelation to us. Nothing less than that. Every word of this is. He has chosen to put himself down in writing. 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. Everything that can be known about God, he has revealed to us in creation and in his word. Those are the only two places you will find it. If we ignore his word, we are ignoring him. It's of the utmost importance that we attend to his word. But if we fail also to spend time in prayer with the Lord, we're missing out on our opportunity to speak with him. The Lord wants us to respond to his word in prayer. Here in our services, we place a great emphasis on both reading the scriptures and praying. There's scriptures throughout all of the service, and there's prayers that go throughout all the service too, because they go hand in hand. God speaks to us, and we respond back. So I'd encourage you to think of these two disciplines as one. When it comes to Bible reading, there are many ways to approach this discipline, many great ways. You can set a goal at the beginning of the year here to read the Bible all the way through or to read it through in the next two years. We have a plan that will help you do just that. It's called the Machine Bible Reading Plan and it's available in the back on that back table under the timeline of the church. Pick one of these up if you're interested in doing something like that. It takes you through the Bible in either one or two years And it's not just straight through either. There's a good mix every day of Old and New Testament, of different genres, so it keeps things fresh. And that type of approach of reading through the Bible all the way in in one year or two years is great. It's a great approach, especially for those who have never read through the whole Bible or for those who haven't read it in a long time. Some people love to do it every year. It's their regular practice. It gives a fuller picture of what the Bible is all about. So you'll start to see connections here and there, all over the place. Because as we saw in our Advent series, the Bible is self-referential. It's constantly talking about itself. But some books are more difficult than others. So I'd suggest getting in the habit also of listening to the Bible. Especially if you have a long drive in the morning or if you like to have something playing in your house in the morning, the ESV app, the English Standard Version app, has a bunch of different recordings of people reading the Bible. They've just released a whole update to their app for Bible reading for these plans, so I'd recommend you downloading that app. Um, They also uh, just released different podcasts that you can download that helps you read through the Bible or do a particular reading plan, like they have a chronological read through the Bible podcast, which is really cool. Those are all available for free. So if, you, if this sounds interesting to you, I would take advantage of the ESV app and of Crossways podcasts. Another approach to Bible reading, which has been my habit for many years, is to pick one book of the Bible to read through many times in a row in different translations. Either one large book or like three smaller books, like 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus or something like that, and read through them over and over using different translations of the Bible. I like to do that to get the flow of a book, to know what it's talking about. So I'll spend three to six months on one book, slowly reading through it over and over, taking notes on it. And I'm reading through right now the book of Revelation. I read a chapter, then I read notes from like a simple commentary or from a study Bible, and I take notes on my phone. Easy peasy. That's it. Crossway has a whole series 
of Bible study tools that can take you through the Bible book by book very carefully. It's called Knowing the Bible. I know I've referenced Crossway a bunch here, but I'm not sponsored. I just want, I want you to know I really like these, uh, these Bible studies. We're going through one right now in our small group. This is, this is First and Second Peter and Jude, but they have these for almost every book of the Bible. You can pick them up in paperback or digitally, and I really recommend them. They've got great questions. Another approach to read the Bible is to read it through with a particular theme in mind. So if neither of those first two approaches were exciting, here's a fun one. Right? We just walked through the Bible in four messages with the theme of messianic expectation. You can pick a theme, a major theme, and walk through the Bible and go through different portions of the scripture to see that theme. It's a lot of fun, but it does require some tools. So you can get like a chain reference Bible or a particular book that you can read through as you do that study that will show you where that theme pops up. And I'm sure there are many other great approaches to incorporate Bible reading into your life. There are many great tools out there. So I'd encourage you to find an approach that is both sustainable and that stokes the love of God in your hearts. Sustainability is the most important thing. Something that you can do consistently, if not every day, several times a week. As far as the discipline of prayer, the best place to start if you have little to no prayer life is the Bible itself. If you don't know how to pray or you feel awkward praying, like it's still something you're trying to learn, let the Bible teach you. Let it teach you. It's filled with prayers. Start with the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Pray through the Lord's Prayer every day. Do it for like a month. Pray through the Lord's Prayer every day and start to expand on it. Maybe when you first start to pray, there's not much that comes to mind that you want to expand on, but soon the Spirit will bring certain things to mind that you can expand on in that prayer. It is our model prayer. It's how Jesus taught us to pray. So use that. But you can use any portion of the Scriptures. You, you just need to use the Bible as a jumping off point for your prayers. If you feel like your prayers is always the same or always dry or you kind of work through a list of prayer requests and it always happens to be the same, I'd encourage you to start praying through the Psalms. Start praying through the Psalms. Use the Psalms as your voice to the Lord. That's one major reason why they exist. They are written from our perspective to the Lord. So use them like that. We want to be able to say with the author of Psalm 119, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, right? We can pray that to the Lord. He wrote it so that it would be our attitude as well. So pick a psalm, any psalm, and just start to pray the words of that psalm. And as the words remind you of other things, pray for those other things. And when you're done praying for those other things, return to the words of the psalm. Not every word has to remind you of something else, but it might that's good. Maybe you'll, you'll never be reminded of something as you read through a psalm. Pray, pray through it anyway. That will be your prayer. That's okay. If you have more to pray about when you reach the end of your psalm, keep going into the next psalm. Pray until you're done. If you've ever desired to have the type of relationship with God where you could spend 30 minutes to an hour just in prayer, this is the best way to get there. It's the best way. 
You'll start praying. You'll pray a long psalm, and by the end of it, you'll see that 45 minutes has, has gone by. What a beautiful thing to have in your life, to be able to pray with the Lord that long. So start praying the Bible. Bible reading and prayer go hand in hand. We can even pray the Bible as we read it. It's a beautiful gift. These disciplines, prayer and Bible reading, connect us to the heart of God. They remind us of God's presence and his nearness to us. And they remind us that God will never forsake us and that he loves us dearly. Don't we need that reminder so often? How often we forget that, right? That God is actually near to us. We need him constantly. So as 2024 comes into your life, incorporate actively loving God's word. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that this new year would be the year that we've loved you and your word more than ever before. That we would desire to meet with you. That we would be hungry for what you have said to us. Lord, we are so grateful that you've revealed yourself to us in your word. That we actually have you written down. That we can know you more. That it's not just dry and boring either, but that we have all kinds of different ways that you've spoken to us. Lord, make us hungry to know you and hungry for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.